Amen. As we've worshiped this morning, as we've spent time singing and lifting up the name of Christ, much of the singing was geared toward those seeking Christ. And hopefully that is what each of us does on a daily basis here as a part of this church. I will say this, sometimes we sing words to a song and sometimes you know the song so well that you really don't even think about what's coming out of your mouth anymore. And if genuinely we would seek the Lord with all of our heart, we would find him. Without question, we would find him. We live in a look-alike kind of world. Uh, There are all kinds of things that are described as being like something else. Uh, An example of this would be types of food or drink that uh, basically gives us an impression of something else or uh, something that's a different material that's supposed to be like another material. So you might have an example where uh, you have a leather-like material um, there are a lot of things that you might look at it and say, but it's not the same. Uh, there are times that we settle for things that look alike, things that are very similar. Uh, have you ever played dress up at some point in your life? Now, I know all the guys are sitting here thinking, no, I've never done that before. I'm talking about when you were kids and you, uh, you got together with your brother and your sister or your neighbor kids or whomever, and you played dress up. I know that Uh, Although I don't really remember doing dress up, maybe because I'm the guy and I don't want to admit it, Uh, but I know that we had a box for my kids uh, to be able to play dress up. It was filled with costumes, all kinds of crazy costumes. There was everything from, uh, we had uh, uh, clown costumes, we had superhero outfits, we had prison outfits, we had dreadlocks, we had all kinds of crazy things. And Uh, Of course, the kids, it's kind of humorous when they would um, begin to put these outfits on and sometimes they would mix them up and you had uh, things that really didn't go at all together. Actually, there was a part of me that I I wanted to uh, wear a Afro wig up here today just to be able to uh, make my point here. But sometimes we try to play dress and try to is that many of us who have taken on the salvation of Jesus Christ and tried extremely hard to look far too many have discovered that they're wearing the wrong outfit and it doesn't truly fit with what God desired for them. That's where our passage begins today in Philippians chapter 3 as we see people who are apparently intent to climb the ladder of Christianity only to reach the top of the ladder and realize that the ladder was leaning against the wrong building. We have the intent and we're pressing on and we're trying to get to the top only to realize we were going to the top of the wrong thing. Look at the passage with me in Philippians chapter 3, just the first 11 verses. It says this, Further, my brother and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, 
persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, as we have read your word, I pray now that you would apply it to our hearts. Help us to recognize that uh, this is not just Paul's story, but this ought to be the story of each one of us who is filled with the Spirit of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now the Apostle Paul, as he begins this address, uh, he, he almost seems to insult certain individuals. Individuals who are caught up in the law. These are the things that you must do. They're focused on doing good and making sure that they, by the way, along with everybody else, keep the law faithfully. Now it should be noted that Paul realizes that there was a time when this description would have been accurate about himself. So even though he refers to them as dogs, he also recognizes, you know, that there was a time that that was me. He has lived for righteousness or perhaps his self-righteousness would be a more accurate description of what he lived for. He's been circumcised. He's been faithful to the Old Testament law and in his pursuit of righteousness, he was willing to do whatever it took to keep the Jewish faith pure. So yeah, he's been there and he's done that. And it didn't work out as well as he had hoped. In fact, he seems to be suggesting that attempting to be good enough, which is what he has tried to do, is nothing more than a game that you will always lose. By the way, there is value in trying to encourage others to remain faithful. If you look at the Jewish people, there were times that one individual's sin impacted the entire Jewish community. It wasn't as if it was always just, you know, this is your problem and therefore you have to pay the consequences of it. In Joshua chapter 7, we have the story of Achan. Achan was a, a man who, he was a part of the, the Israelite community. He had gone into battle. They had fought the battle of Jericho and they won. God gave them a great victory, but he had given them instruction that nobody is to take any of the gold, the silver, the bronze, or the things that were dedicated. Basically, they should have been dedicated back to God. What this was, God was giving the people the, the battle. He gave them the victory, and he said, the first victory here in the promised land, you give everything back to God. Well, Achan decides, I'm going to take the gold, the silver, and the bronze that I come in contact with, and I'm going to hide it. He hides it in his tent. They go into the battle just a few days later against a nation called Ai, and as they go into battle, they basically get their butts kicked. I know it doesn't sound like a big loss. 32 Israelites die, but the Israelites immediately begin to cry out to God. God, why have you abandoned us? Why would you allow such tragedy to come upon your people? What happens when other nations hear how you have left us here? Now they won't be afraid of us, but rather they will 
come and they will attack us as well. And God basically stops Joshua. And I love, it's my paraphrase, but I love what God says to him. Get up and quit crying. I'm not the one who abandoned you. You abandoned me. You see, there was one man who had allowed sin to enter in, and because of that sin, all of the Israelites paid the price. So when we look at the Pharisees, we look at Paul, we look at all these righteous people who wanted everyone else to be righteous as well, we need to understand that there was value in it. You see, your sin impacts the other people around you. You may say, well, no, what I do affects me. It doesn't hurt other people. It's not true. Tell a family where the husband or the father has been unfaithful. Tell them that that father's sin only affects him. Actually, it affects everybody who's connected to that family. Tell the family friends who basically now they have to choose whether they're going to be connected with the father or with the mother. His sin affects other people and your sin does as well. The attitudes we display, you say, well, it's just between me and God. Yes, but the attitudes you display has an impact on other people. The things that you choose to do, it has an impact on other people. And therefore, it makes sense that they would try to encourage people to do what's right. But Paul comes to the realization, all of my goodness, I'm setting myself up for failure. I cannot win this game. Let me ask you, would you rather play in a game where you knew going into it, that you were going to lose? Or would you rather play in a game where you thought, maybe there's a chance I could win today? I don't know about you, but I want to know that there is a chance for me to win. I'm not going to put myself out there for something that I know I cannot win no matter what. Several years ago, an NFL head coach named Herm Edwards angrily responded to the media as they talked about moral victories after a loss. In his response, he repeatedly said, you win to play, or you play to win the game. Over and over again, you play to win the game. And his point was this, I didn't send my players out there for a moral victory. I sent them out there because I wanted to win and they wanted to win. Well, this attempt at being good enough will always result in loss. Not because living righteous and good lives is a bad thing. In fact, It is a very good thing. It's what God expects of us. In fact, in John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples on two separate occasions that if you love me, you will obey what I've commanded. He is instructing them that everyone who calls themselves a child of God, anyone who genuinely loves the Lord, there is a heart of obedience that will flow out of that. God expects us to be good people who choose righteousness and holiness. But the reason we lose when pursuing our own self-righteousness is simply because our self-righteousness is never truly enough. It is like filthy rags because our goodness can never be good enough. The Apostle Paul reflects on the fact that he has tried to keep the law. He's been good enough, at least in the eyes of other people. In fact, he was likely one of the most well-respected Jews of his day. We're told that at the stoning of Stephen, that the people came and laid their cloaks at the feet of the Apostle Paul. This was a sign of great respect. They admired him. They looked at this guy as if there's anybody righteous, if there's anybody who would keep the law, it is Paul. Actually, at that point, his name was Saul, but it's a separate issue. The point is here. 
he has pursued righteousness and he has tried to do good. Yet the truth is, Paul was never really good enough. So let me summarize the first point to you in a really simple way here. God desires that you live good and moral lives. But simply living good moral lives is never enough. The unfortunate reality is that there will be many good moral people who spend eternity in hell. Individuals who, if you were to talk with them, they would tell you about how good they were. I have done so many funerals for individuals who, when I met with the family, I would ask them about their spiritual condition. These were folks, when when I was up in uh, Pennsylvania and Delaware area, uh, I probably did about a funeral, maybe two funerals a week. Uh, There was a local funeral home. Anytime there was someone who didn't have a pastor, they would call me, which created a great, it sounds terrible, created a great opportunity for me to make extra money. But it also opened up a door for me to be able to share with people. And so often, these people, it was the first time I would meet them, I would ask, can you tell me about your loved one? And the first thing that you would hear, well, he was a really good person. Then, of course, I'd get to the question, well, can, can you tell me if they, if they ever became a part of the body of Christ? Well, I'm sure they're in heaven because they were really, really good people. They would have done anything. They would have given their shirt off their back for somebody else. I want to encourage you today to give your shirt off your back to somebody else. I want to encourage you to be the good people that you're supposed to be. But don't mistake that as something that will grant you access to eternal life. The only thing that does that is Jesus Christ. He expects us to be good, but not so that we can become children of God, but because we are children of God, now we ought to live as good people. We ought to do good things. It is incredibly valuable for us to do things that impact our world. I was talking with Kevin and with Amanda this morning and this week, and um, uh, just a few moments ago, Richard was praying specifically and encouraging us specifically regarding the flood victims, specifically from Harvey. I know that there's also another Hurricane Irma that is uh, hitting the shore this morning Uh, But our church has been given the opportunity to participate to help out in flood relief. And there are actually several other churches. i got to take a moment just to commend you because we're talking about goodness. And I want to take a moment and just say thanks. One of the statements that I heard from Kevin this morning uh, as they picked up the loads from all of the different churches and the other uh, communities in the area, the giving from this church far surpassed that of any of the other groups that gave. Goodness ought to flow out of us. That is exactly what we're supposed to do. But don't mistake that in thinking that because I'm good, that means I must be a child of God. Instead, because I am a child of God, Goodness ought to flow out of me. I commend you because it's flowing out of you. Uh, Amanda sent me a list of all of these items. She uh, basically uh, listed every single item that was given. It was amazing to look at. Thank you for being the good people God called you to be. But know that your goodness by itself would never, ever be enough. Instead... Our salvation is not found in our goodness, but it is only to be found in him. Paul declares in verses 8 and 9 that I consider everything a loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. He says that all the self-righteous acts that I once depended on, I consider them garbage. They didn't save me. In fact, I don't really want to be known simply as a faithful Jew anymore. It's not that he didn't want to embrace the Jewish faith. It's a misnomer to assume that somehow Paul didn't want to be Jewish anymore. Instead, he still loved the Jewish faith. He simply knew that their Messiah had come. Here they were. They were waiting for a Messiah. He is not a converted Jew. He is a completed Jew. He is still a Jew, but he now knows the Messiah. Keeping the Jewish law never saved him. He says, I give all that up for the sake of gaining Christ. And instead of being found in my righteousness, I want to be found in him. And then in verse 10, he reveals what is most important to him. Previously, it was keeping of the law. But now he declares that he wants to know Christ. It is this knowing Christ that changes everything for us. I was talking this week about the unique dynamics of this church in particular. I think there was a time where most people had generally been through the same or similar experiences. When you went to church, you typically sat next to people who they understood you because they were just like you. It was common for moms and dads to remain faithfully married, to love each other, and to model what the family was supposed to be like. It was it was common for individuals to stay in one area for most of their lives. So what would happen is you had similar experiences to the people who sat next to you. And even if perhaps some people had moved to the area or maybe there were people that were a little bit different, typically you worshiped with people who were just like you. But when we sit down in this church, it is likely that the person sitting beside you has been through some very different things than you. Looking around here today, I just I made a list of some of the things that I see. In fact, I was thinking about it really as, as the, the uh, choir was singing this morning and then as Caitlin and Daly were singing as well. As I look around the people in this congregation, I see individuals who formerly were enslaved by addiction, yet they have been set free. I see people who have struggled with self-destructive practices even like cutting and unfortunately even eating habits that are very destructive, yet now they have been made whole. I see individuals who are failures both morally and professionally, yet now they walk in victory. I see people who have been diagnosed with horrible diseases, perhaps like cancer, yet they have found hope and healing. I see people who have endured incredible loss, of a loved one, leaving a void that only Christ would be able to fill. I see individuals who are raised in legalism, yet now they have been set free even from that, and they recognize their own dependence upon grace. I see people who have suffered abuse at the hands of a quote-unquote loved one, yet they have discovered what it truly means to have a loving Heavenly Father. I see people who are imperfect, 
people with less than perfect minds, people with less than perfect bodies and less than perfect pasts. Yet I see people whom God has redeemed and he has given purpose and meaning to their lives today. So what does all that have to do with our passage? I am convinced that mere goodness would never be enough to transform those people's lives. For years, we taught people that you're supposed to do this, 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 and this. And if you do, everything will be right in your life. You're supposed to not do this, not do this, not do this. And as long as you keep those do's and don'ts, everything will be good. But when you come to the table with brokenness already, your goodness that you offer will never be good enough. Because the truth is, you're already filthy with sin and brokenness. And to expect you to all of a sudden just change because you decided to be good is it's not very realistic. Your goodness cannot transform people. Yet through a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, anything is possible. It's this issue which Paul speaks of when he talks about people taking on a form of godliness, yet denying the power of God. You being good is taken as, basically that's a form of godliness. When somebody used to do something good to us, we might respond with the statement, we know that's mighty Christian of you. And within that statement, there is this idea that you did something good, so that must be something that is Christian. But just because you did something good does not necessarily make you Christian. Goodness is not enough to truly transform the world. Be good people. Love those who are broken. Love people who are going through crisis. It's exactly what the scriptures call us to do. But being good is not enough to transform our world. What is enough? Seeking a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul embraced the Christ of the cross. Paul recognized that the best thing that ever happened to him was to enter into a loving relationship with him. No doubt that every one of us is called to imitate Christ, but we are also called to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. I talked at the beginning about those who imitate, those who almost put on a costume because they want to look good. They want to fit the character. I wonder how many people have come to church this morning wearing the costume of Christianity. I don't mean that to insult you or to judge you in any way because I genuinely believe that God has placed some of the best people in the world in this congregation. I genuinely believe that God is using your goodness for great things. My hope is that it's more than just your goodness. What matters is not so much can you keep the list of do's and don'ts, but do you have a right relationship with Jesus Christ? I spoke with someone recently and we were talking about Christianity and his immediate response was, well, you know, I'm, I'm not very religious. 
And I think for many of us, we have equated Christianity merely as a religion. And by the way, technically speaking, it is a religion. I hear people say, well, Christianity is not a religion. Yes, it is, because we devote our everything to him. And in many ways, that is a religion. But it's more than that. It is also a relationship with a loving God who cares about you and me who looks at the brokenness of our lives and he says, I'm not content leaving you like that. I want to set you free. I want to make you whole. I want to give you all that you need so that you can genuinely be transformed. That's what God desires for us. Not just that we be good. He wants us to be good. I think the fear anytime we talk about a message like this is someone's going to walk away and think, well, the pastor told us we don't have to live holy lives. We don't have to do good. We don't have to understand God still desires that, but know that that is the fruit of a right relationship with him. It's not the cause of a right relationship with him. They are two very different things. I ask you, what moves you? Is it your pursuit of goodness or is it your pursuit of God? Again, nothing wrong with being good, godly people, but... What is it that genuinely moves you? I like the way the psalmist puts it in Psalm chapter 63. And I'll end with this. Last four verses. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. What the psalmist is saying here is I have found my satisfaction. I have found my peace. I have found my purpose, not simply in doing good, but I seek you. And as I seek you, I find that you are very, very good. I have embraced your love that you have extended to me. And the result, man, I can't stop praising you. I can stand up here and I can tell you all the things that you're supposed to do. But if you do not seek the Lord with abandon, if you do not seek the Lord with all of your passion, all of the things you do, they're just things. But when you genuinely experience him, when you seek the Lord with all of your heart, you will find him. And he will fill you and he will use you and he will move in such ways you never thought it was possible. I believe today that God desires for us to be moved toward him, not just toward goodness. Remember, be good. Every time I leave my kids, I tell them, make good decisions. I believe God still wants us to make good decisions. But more than anything, he wants a right relationship with us. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, we recognize that Many times we have reduced our faith to a few good works. We've thought because we did the things on our list of do's and we didn't do the things on our list of don'ts that somehow that made us righteous people. But according to Paul, 
It's garbage. It's useless. Lord, our desire today is not to waste time, not to waste the opportunity we have sitting in front of us, but rather to genuinely experience you in a real way so that as we do the good works that you call us to, Lord, that it will actually have meaning. Well, we believe that there is a day that's coming that we will be in your presence and you will either say, well done, good and faithful servant, or you will say, away from me, for I never knew you. Within those two greetings, Lord, we see the need to do good, but also to know you. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to know you better than we even know ourselves. Give us a hunger and a thirst after your righteousness and help us, Lord, to simply know your grace. Not to just seek you for your hand, for the mighty works that you might do for us, but to genuinely seek your face so that we can know who you are and what you have for us. And then, Lord, I pray that you would use us in whatever way you see fit. With every head bowed and eye closed, I just want to ask this morning, maybe you've come this morning and you've been working really hard to be good. You've put on your outfit to where you look like you are righteous, but the reality is your walk with God is almost non-existent. You do good things, you give your tithe, you support when we have an event, but genuinely your relationship with God is not what it needs to be. And maybe today you would like for to simply pray and ask God to forgive and to start that new relationship all over again. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to be able to pray specifically for you. Thank you. Father, right now, I thank you for the honesty of individuals who would declare that they have been good people, but they need more than goodness. Lord, I pray right now that you would fill them with your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would empower them to be transformed so that all of the things that once were a part of their lives, that truly that would just be a part of the story, that now they are transformed, they are new people in you who still do good, but they know you better than they even know themselves. Lord, may you be honored as they serve you with all of their hearts. We give you praise for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. I will tell you guys that I really think you guys are one of the greatest groups of people that you could ever come across. I meant what I said earlier. You guys are some of the most generous folks you could ever ask for. I want you all to be good. I think that's a great thing. But I want more than anything for you to know the grace of Jesus Christ and to know him personally. So I hope that you do that as we depart today. Thank you for being with us this morning. If you still have items that you wanted to bring, I think that they're going to be loading more stuff up later this afternoon. Just see Kevin before you leave. He's the one who's got the truck. And uh, we would love to have more given. Again, you guys have already done more than anyone could have asked. But if you wanted to give more, he's here so you can connect with him. Thank you for being with us. Go in peace.